Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jenikin. It's our last week of horror movie versus reality. Right, Halloween week. For this year. Yeah. We will return next year Absolutely. For, for our annual Halloween month. We have things we've already have lined up. We do. I mean, I think. Yeah. A few. We have a few, we have a few <laughs> ideas a few thoughts. For, for next year, for sure. Let's start out the show by thanking our Patreon subscribers from this past week. They went over to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And this week we have Justine, Sarah, Lauren, Delbert, Ashley, Jana, Chris, Elsa, Peyton, and Jen. Thank you. Thank you all so much. All right. To finish Halloween month, we will be doing movie versus reality Black Christmas. Yeah. Black Christmas, we've <laughs> talked about on this show before. One of the greatest horror films. I would say it's considered, well, it is considered, it's, I wouldn't say, it is considered like one of the first slasher films. Yeah. If you haven't seen Black Christmas and you love the slasher genre, what are you doing? Turn off this episode. Come back to this episode, yeah. but go watch Black Christmas right away. The original. The original, 1974. It's very scary. It's very horny. It's very <laughs> horny. I was shocked at how horny it was. Yeah. I just watched it last year or something. I think that's what we talked about last year is I was... I brought up how horny some of the um, phone calls in Black Christmas made you, and how well, inappropriate that is. He's disgusting. He it's <laughs> over the top because you don't you don't often hear that specific of um, prank calls in movies. <laughs> like he gets very specific with what he's going to do. The thing I is, think. the the. Like the premise of the movie basically is a slasher movie and these college girls are getting murdered and the killer leaves like a prank phone call beforehand. And the prank phone calls like legitimately sound like a real scary prank phone call. Like it doesn't sound like scripted. I know. I wonder if he improvised them. I think he must have. Yeah. And they're probably- they get really graphic. Yeah. He says cunt a lot. Yeah. Um, and... I mean, like more than that. Yeah, like it's just gross, but it's it's really effective in the movie. I think you should watch it if you haven't seen it yet. The movie stars Olivia Hussey and Margot Kidder, and it was directed by Bob Clark. And the movie was written by A. Roy Moore, and Moore said that he was inspired by a series of murders that happened in Montreal in the late 60s, early 70s. And that is what we will be talking about today, these serial murders. I have to say, 
there isn't like the ins that that was you know it's not like Black Christmas is based on these crimes, right? But this was the inspiration. So this story will be taking place in Canada. Shout out to our Canadian listeners. Maybe you know this story, maybe you don't. This guy is not a very widely known, at least in America, serial killer. But we will be getting into him right now. The book I read for this episode is called Bloodthirst. True Story of Wayne Bowden, Vampire Rapist and Serial Killer by Alan R. Warren. I also did read a lot of newspaper articles for this episode. Let's get started. Wayne Bowden was born January 1st, 1948 in the town of Dundas, Ontario, Canada to Albert and Laverna Bowden. Albert worked in a factory and Laverna was a housewife. Wayne's mother was very strict and not really a warm person, and his dad was the same way. He was not an affectionate guy. Wayne suspected that his parents didn't even like each other because he noticed one time that they slept in those twin-size beds in their bedroom like they did on TV. Yeah. Did real people do that Um, in the 50s? I don't know. I can see it. Some people don't like to sleep in the same bed with people. But like I at least want a queen size bed. Yeah, I wouldn't want a twin. No, not past the <laughs> age of like 13. No. At school, Wayne was known as the quiet kid, but he got along well with his teachers, helping them clean up after class and performing tasks for them if they needed it. He played football in high school and he was quite strong. Wayne would even get into physical fights with kids who made fun of him for being a suck-up and a teacher's pet. Wow. So though the teachers liked him, Wayne was not social with the other kids. He didn't have any girlfriends, even though there were girls who thought he was handsome. And he was incredibly shy as well. So it's not like he was asking girls out. At one point, he dreamed of becoming a male model, but... There just wasn't that kind of opportunity in this small town. Is that is he that good looking? Look, like we were saying before, <laughs> I think there's a scale of serial killers. Right. He's I saw a picture of him where he was better looking, but there's this picture that I've seen of him a lot where he has these really gnarly sideburns and I just can't get past that. Right. But if he thought he could be a model as a teenager, I mean, I don't think a lot of guys typically think that unless people are constantly telling them how good looking they are. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, that's like something that's repeated time and time again. Like, oh, he was just so handsome. Right. Um, But then they said that about Ted Bundy. And yes, we all know what he looks like. After high school, Wayne moved to Montreal. It was 1967, and he was living in a small apartment in Dorchester Square, which was a neighborhood with considerably more action than that of his hometown. He found work as a traveling salesman, though he still had dreams of becoming a model. At this time, the city of Montreal became a destination for young people following the World's Fair. The city and its nightlife were booming, and Wayne Bowden took advantage of that. Wayne, like I said, he's frequently called handsome. I disagree, but he was apparently also really charming. Ooh. On July 25th, 1968, Montreal police received an anonymous phone call that a young woman named Norma Valencourt was sick and needed help. The caller provided her address and then hung up. 
He was never identified. Police arrived at 21-year-old Norma's apartment that day and found that the front door had been left ajar. When they entered, they discovered her dead, lying on her bed with a small amount of blood on the sheets. The blood was believed to have been caused by the bite marks that had been left on her breasts. (gasps) Norma's cause of death was determined to be strangulation. She had also had intercourse before she died. It didn't specify if it was consensual or rape. Norma was a school teacher who had recently moved to Montreal from a very small rural town northeast of Quebec City. When she moved to Montreal, she rented an apartment by herself on Davidson Street. Two days before her death, Norma apparently had a date with a man that she had met at a club. Her friends had last seen her earlier in the day when they went shopping. Norma returned home from the shopping trip and changed into a new outfit that she had bought that day. Later, she buzzed someone, presumably her date, into her apartment. Friends grew concerned when she didn't show up for work on the 25th. It wasn't long after that police made the grim discovery that Norma was dead. The killer didn't leave behind any fingerprints, and police were unable to come up with any leads, so the case went cold. Then, the following year, a similar tragedy would occur. On the morning of October 3rd, 1969, 26-year-old Kenneth Ellert returned home from work and was frightened to see that his 20-year-old girlfriend, Shirley Audette, was nowhere to be found at the apartment they shared on Dorchester Street. The couple had just moved there that summer. Shirley and Kenneth had been together for a year, and she had recently found out she was pregnant. Kenneth worked late nights and wouldn't return home until early that morning, leaving Shirley feeling really afraid. So sometimes she would sit out on the front steps of the building when he was at work, Apparently, it made her feel less scared to just be where there were people walking around, I guess. That night, while she was waiting out front of their apartment, she had spoken to Kenneth earlier on the phone at 3 a.m., so he was, like, working the night shift. Shirley said that she met one of their neighbors while she was out on the front steps, and he was a really nice guy. But when Kenneth called her again a few hours later, she didn't pick up. Later in the day, a maintenance man discovered the body of Shirley Audette behind their apartment complex. Shirley was fully dressed, except for her shoes, wearing the same outfit that her boyfriend Kenneth had last seen her in. The cause of her death was strangulation, and there were bite marks covering her breasts. She had been raped before she died. Police interviewed her boyfriend Kenneth, as well as other men who Shirley was alleged to have been dating on the side, but they came up with no leads, and that case was also put on the back burner. Police didn't know at the time the name of the nice neighbor who Shirley had been talking to that night. It was Wayne Bowden. Mm. In November of that year, 20-year-old Marielle Archambault met Wayne late one night while out at a club. He introduced himself to her as Bill. Now, this was his, like, alias. (laughs) (laughs) This was his alias, was Bill. This is always the name he used when he would pick up women. So him and Marielle, they hit it off. He was kind, charming, and very polite. He didn't even try to get in her pants that night. Marielle had also moved to Montreal from a small town. She worked as a sales associate at a jewelry store. 
Like many young people who moved to the big city from small towns, Marielle spent a lot of nights partying it up in Montreal's bustling nightlife scene. Marielle was so smitten by Wayne, a.k.a. Bill, that she even told her friends about him at work the next day. But a few days later, Marielle called up a friend and confessed to her that she was afraid she had gotten involved in a bad situation. It was a very cryptic statement that Marielle then refused to clarify. I mean, that's only a few days or a week after meeting him? Yeah, she'd met this guy at the club. She was telling all her girlfriends about him. And then something changed. And then all of a sudden she calls up a friend and she's like, I feel like I got myself in a bad situation. That's dramatic. But she wouldn't clarify that. So then it's like, okay, what's going on here? The next day, Wayne Bowden showed up at Marielle's work. She told her coworkers, hey, this is Bill, who I met at the club. They chatted for a few minutes outside on the street, and then she returned to work. After she clocked out, Marielle was seen leaving the jewelry shop with Wayne. But Marielle wouldn't show up for work the next day. Her boss grew concerned that they hadn't been able to get a hold of Marielle, and so they contacted her landlady to see if she was okay. The landlady knocked on the door but didn't get an answer. The door was locked, and she opened it with her key and called out to Marielle, but there was nothing. Finally, she made the horrific discovery. Marielle lay dead on the couch in her living room. Police arrived to find Marielle fully dressed, but her shirt and bra had been ripped. Much like the other murders before her, there was no sign of a break-in, as if she knew her killer. And also like the previous murders, investigators discovered that she had bite marks all over her breasts. And the cause of death, again, was strangulation. Now, the first real lead in locating who the police were now calling the vampire rapist came during a search of Marielle's apartment when they found a crumpled up photo of some guy with the name Bill written on it. Ooh. Now, when she, he showed up at work, she seemed like normal. Yeah. She didn't seem like, uh-oh, he's here. No, <laughs> like it's very bizarre that she called her friend. I mean, maybe not. Maybe like he said something to put her at ease and then it was right. fine. Maybe he said something weird one night and she was having second thoughts and yeah. then maybe she thought she was overreacting. Yeah. I don't know. But that is weird that the friend got this phone call and then the next day right. everything was fine. So police find a photo at her house. It's been crumpled up. It has the name Bill written on it. And so they take it down to the jewelry shop and the girls there instantly identified it as the man who had visited with Marielle at work the day before her murder. At this time, locals then began referring to the killer as Strangler Bill. And the photo that was found in Marielle's apartment was circulated to the public. Yeah. Despite this lead on the alleged photographic identity of the killer, it ended up amounting to nothing as the photo was later identified to someone completely different. Oh. So these girls misidentified it. The photograph actually happened to be one of Marielle's friends who had died several years before. Was his name Bill? I guess. So they thought it was the same guy who showed up that day. Yes. Because they looked close enough, maybe. Or maybe... Or they wanted to see it, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like how, like, police lineups... Right. You can't... Like, they don't... They want you to be isolated before you... Or whatever, you don't want to lead somebody when they're pointing out photo- yes. photos. Because like, they want to give the right answer. 
Yeah. There's like that instinct. So maybe like the police work was like bad and the women who identified him in the photo were like, yeah, 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 that's him, that's him. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really weird. Um, it's even weirder is like Wikipedia said that the photo turned out to be her deceased father. Oh. I, I don't know what is the correct answer here. If it right. was her friend that had died or her deceased father, but it was not Wayne Bowden. Yeah. Still baffling, like I said, that her coworkers identified him, but like, you know, it probably was just He probably was close enough. Yes. So I think that's what happened. It was two months later when Wayne struck again. Like the women before her, Jean Way was also a young woman in her early 20s who was brunette and had moved to Montreal from a small town. On January 16, 1970, Jean was out shopping when she noticed that a man had been following her. Every store she went into, there he was, creeping on her. It became so apparent that she was being followed that she stopped someone on the street and told them what was going on. They told her not to worry, but she was very worried. So she went into a photo studio and told the owner what was going on. He offered to call the police, but she said, no, I don't want to make a huge deal out of it. I just need to get away from him. And he said, okay, you can leave out of the back of the store and I'll keep an eye out for this creepy guy. Jean made it out of the store safely, and she later went out dancing with her boyfriend, 22-year-old Brian Caulfield. They had been dating for about a month. They returned from the club late around 3 a.m. Brian escorted Jean back to her apartment and then said goodbye. The following day, they made plans to go out to dinner. He would pick her up at 8 p.m., but when he arrived at Jean's apartment, no one answered the door. So Brian left and went down to have some drinks at a local bar. He returned over an hour later, and Jean still wasn't answering the door. He noticed the door was unlocked, so he let himself in. And that's when he found her. She was lying on her bed, and she was dead. The body wasn't even cold yet. Brian immediately went to the police, who saw that the belt from Jean's robe had been wrapped around her neck. Police initially suspected her boyfriend, and he was taken down to the station for questioning, but he was quickly ruled out as a suspect. Unlike the previous murders, there appeared to be a struggle as evidenced by the state of her apartment. It looked trashed. Police interviewed friends of Jean at ver- and various people around the neighborhood, but they were no closer to finding their killer than they were before. What police didn't know was that Wayne Bowden had waited outside of Jean's apartment and waited until another resident of the building opened the front door. He then caught the door before it closed and slipped in. Then Wayne waited for hours in the stairwell by Jean's apartment. Remember, he was first stalking her out on the street the day before. Right. So this is like the next night that he catches up to her. She opened her door, and she was carrying a basket of laundry, and she looks up and sees Wayne. She drops the basket because she yeah. is like freaks out. And Wayne immediately pushes her back inside the apartment. Oh my God. Where he then murders her. And she had just spoken to her boyfriend on the phone like an hour before they were going to have dinner. So he shows up for dinner and she's already dead. Yes. Okay. And he's knocking on the door thinking maybe she fell asleep. Right. 
or went out, went out, quick, yeah. did something. He comes back an hour later. Then he starts. You know, she's not. She's not answering again. After murdering Jean Way, Wayne Bowden decided to leave Montreal. He packed up his shit and moved west to Calgary. And we will take a quick break here, and we'll be back. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. So Wayne Bowden has left his life behind in Montreal. He now lives in Calgary, which is west. Mm-hmm. In the spring of 1971, Wayne Bowden met a 33-year-old school teacher named Elizabeth Porteous. She was on a ski trip with her coworkers in, I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Banff. <laughs> okay, it's spelled B-A-N-F-F. How do you Banff. Banff. I guess. That's hard to say. That's in Canada? Maybe it's like French or something. Banff. Banff. <laughs> But like, I feel like it'd be easier to say Bonf with the M. Yeah. But this is Banff. Can yeah. you write into the show, Calgary or Alberta listeners, yeah. and tell me how to pronounce this name? 
But this is a very small resort town that people go skiing at. And so she's on this ski trip in Banff when a man who introduced himself as Bill approached her at a bar. Still using Bill. He uses Bill every single time. He told her that he noticed that her car had a sticker bearing the name of the town that Wayne went to school in. The sticker said the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And so he's like, hey, I know the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Yeah. They're a great team. That's a great pickup line. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, she being a very polite Canadian woman... Look, I'm not going to do the accent today. I don't have it in me. You don't need those emails. But she, (laughs) (laughs) I was telling Desi before the show, I've been listening to the two, well, it's a multi-part episode on the Ken and Barbie killers on last podcast on the left. And look, they're doing a great job. If you want to hear Canadian accents, (laughs) go listen to to that series. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to top that, eh? No. I can't. I only know imitations. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I do an imitation, it's going to be an imitation of an imitation. It won't be based on real uh, things I've heard necessarily. Yeah. Not that their impressions are very... um, (laughs) Subtle. Subtle or... (laughs) I'm just not that type. They're... Isn't Henry like an improviser? Right? <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. Look, we've we've done other accents, but I don't think I can I, do Yonkers. <laughs> I don't think I have Canadian in me tonight. No, I can only do ones I slip into naturally. So like Long Island, New York, right. Southern. That's it. Right. So Elizabeth was, of course, very charmed by Wayne, aka yeah. Bill. She was charmed enough that by the end of their conversation, they exchanged numbers. Prior to their meeting at the cocktail bar in Banff, Wayne had been stalking Elizabeth back in Calgary. So this wasn't just a chance meeting. No, he followed her there. He followed this woman who actually happened to live not far away from him. In Calgary. So now they have a meet cute and then he's going to be like, oh my God, we live blocks away from each other in Calgary. Totally. Yeah. Um, He saw, he was in Calgary, like downtown one day. He saw her car parked and noticed the sticker on the back. So he had his whole story planned. Yes. He's like, oh, the Hamilton Wildcats. Yeah. Tiger Cats. That's a good segue. That's like serious stalking. (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like I didn't specify in the book, but I feel like this is over the course of a few weeks. It seems like he gets obsessed with a woman he sees yes. and then just has to follow through with it that's, instead of moving on. I think that's that seems to be the pattern here with him. Because the one he who hid in the photo store, yeah. like he easily could have just found someone else and moved on, but he like kept up with her. Yeah. So he sees this car He's like, that's going to be my target. He doesn't even know who the driver of this could have been a man. He doesn't even know. So he waits in his car to see who the driver is. And he's like, oh, bingo, it's a woman. And when Elizabeth starts her car, he's like in a car parked a couple spaces behind her. Yeah. He follows her. Oh, my God. He follows her car. And she drives to the school where she works at and... He parks yeah. as she parks. Then he watches her go inside the school and 
then he, I guess everyone's inside the school because then he went over to her car and looked inside the car to get a good look at like what's going on, what information can I I pull here. He spied some papers that had her name on them, so he found out her name. But that wasn't enough because Wayne then tried to open the doors to see if one of them was unlocked and the driver's side was unlocked. I'm sure Elizabeth didn't think her car someone was going to break into her car at the school that day right you know this is like a very unusual situation but he did and he stole some of these papers that had important private information on them and then he took off and he thought about her the rest of that night yeah one of the papers had her home address on it so now he has that wayne would later stake out her apartment building uh, he would like go there for hours. Then he would went went back to the school one day to stalk her again, but he was surprised to find that her car wasn't there. So he went into the school and asked about Elizabeth. He's like, "Do you do you know where Miss Mrs. Portia Porteus is today?" And yeah. they're like, "You mean Miss Porteus?" He goes, "Oh, excellent." Ugh. And um, they told him, <gasps> "I can't believe they told him." They're like, "Yeah, she's in Banff." On a school ski trip. Oh, my God. So he's like, great. So yeah. he drove an hour to this ski resort town, checked into a motel, and then goes to like the local lodge, whatever, right. cocktail bar, and just waits there for hours. Hoping she'll arrive. And she eventually did. Oh, my God. And she was alone there for a time, like she was waiting for her. She was there with her girlfriends. So she yeah. was waiting there for her other friends to arrive. And in the meantime, he chats her up. Yeah. And they hit it off. Elizabeth had told her fellow teachers that she had met a man and he was this really great guy. And everyone was really happy for her. She was 33. She hadn't date any, dated anyone in the last few years. And she was just looking to meet a nice guy to settle down with. Two weeks after the ski trip, Elizabeth and Wayne had their first date. So he didn't even like, they didn't even move move forward super fast after this. Right. But Elizabeth failed to show up for work at school the next day after mm-hmm. their date. None of her coworkers could get a hold of her and they began to worry. Finally, they got a hold of the maintenance man in her apartment building to do a check on her. He knocked on her door to no answer, so he let himself in. And there he found her lying on the floor of her apartment dead. Elizabeth was partially undressed and her dress was ripped. She had those same bite marks covering her breasts as Wayne's other victims did. But these bite marks were the most severe yet. (gasps) Like they were vicious. These were the worst ones. There were some on her neck too. In total, she had been bitten 77 times. Holy shit. And the depth of them was... More severe. More severe. It was determined that she was raped and that, once again, the cause of death was strangulation. Like the other crime scenes, there were no fingerprints found, but detectives in Calgary were left with a clue that the Montreal detectives never had. The killer had left something behind. The medical examiner discovered a cufflink when he undressed the body. Like it just fell out of her dress. The cufflink had also left an imprint on her body 
up by her shoulder, I guess presumably while he was manually strangling her. Oh, yeah. There was an indentation from this cuff link. Right. And I guess it popped off. Yeah. And fell down the back of her dress. Detectives in Calgary talked to a coworker of Elizabeth's who had actually seen her on the night of her date with Wayne. Harry Robinson was a teacher at the school, and he told police that him and his wife were driving, and they actually pulled up alongside Wayne and Elizabeth while they were at a stoplight, and they could see Elizabeth in the passenger seat of a powder blue Mercedes, and the Mercedes had a bobblehead toy on the dashboard. Ooh. And this teacher also said that he saw a sticker on the back of the date's car that looked like a cow or a bull. That's a good description. So he has like two pretty good descriptions. I mean, I don't know. It is the 70s, so there might be more than one person with a powder blue Mercedes. But the bobblehead. But the bobblehead and the cow sticker on the back, those are very specific details. He said that the driver was a young man in his 20s. He was nicely dressed with short hair. Harry said it looked like she was having a great time. Her and her date were laughing, so he didn't like try to get her attention. Right. She's just like, oh, she's enjoying herself. But that's what he saw. Harry's statement was crucial in locating Elizabeth's killer. Police were able to narrow down possible suspects from the description of the car. Police sent a team to surveil a man with the car fitting the description, Wayne Bowden, of course. This possible suspect also happened to live very close to Elizabeth. So they waited outside of his apartment, and when he pulled up in his powder blue Mercedes, they noticed the bobblehead toy on the dash and the distinctive sticker on the back window. So Wayne was brought down to the station for questioning, and he told them that, yes, he had been on a date with Elizabeth. He said that after their date, Elizabeth invited him in for coffee, and he said no, and so he went home. The police asked him if he had lost anything, and Wayne was like, yeah, I lost my cufflink. Why would he admit to that? (laughs) (laughs) Then they produced the cufflink. They're like, is this your cufflink? He's like, yeah, my mom gave it to me. So the cops were like, all right, you're under arrest, pal. What a moron. (laughs) Like, did he... Why would... (laughs) Just, I'm baffled that he admitted to that. He's a fucking idiot. But the investigation was not over. Detectives really wanted to gather more evidence to make this a strong case. There had actually been a recent case in the UK where detectives used bite marks found on a victim to identify the killer through dental records. In the US, there were two cases, one in the 40s and one in the 50s, where this type of evidence was used. But forensic odontology had never been used as evidence in a Canadian court before. So this was like a first time. Odontology. <laughs> I never heard that term before. I learned that today. <laughs> I, I learned that today, I mean, Desi. I know what it is just by hearing the word, but I've just never heard that word before. <laughs> I, I mean, could you say a forensic dentistry? It's like that. Orthodon- yeah. Orth- orthodontry. I mean, odontology makes sense. Yeah. But I just, I just, I've heard of like the bite mark kind of forensic science, but I didn't know it had a name. Right. So this, to linking this to a killer, not like dental, this isn't dental records on a victim. This is using the actual impression of the bite marks, matching that to 
his bite. The, the attacker. Yeah. Whoever bit yeah. the victim. This had never been done in Canada before. So they got orthodo- orthodontist Dr. Gordon Swan to take a dental impression from Wayne Bowden. And he did it willingly. He's like, yeah, you can take my dental impression. He didn't think that they were going to be able to use that as evidence against him. Yeah. He willingly uh, let them take a mold of his teeth. Sure, I bit them all. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> suspicious here. This guy is so weird. At the same time, police were now digging into Wayne's past, soon discovering that he had recently lived in Montreal for a few years. They contacted police over there who were like, wow, we have a bunch of unsolved bite mark murders. Yeah. And uh, Wayne's dental impressions were compared to those marks left behind on the victims in Montreal, and it was all a match. Around this time, police also found a button belonging to the dress Elizabeth was wearing on the night of her murder at Wayne's apartment. It wasn't until this evidence, along with the dental impression evidence, was revealed to Wayne that he finally admitted to murdering Elizabeth. He then confessed to murdering three women in Montreal. But he denied raping the women because he was like, oh, no, this was consensual sex. I don't believe that. And some of them were determined to be rape, right? They Well, yeah, they were. Most of them were. Yeah. Except for... The first one. The first one, it didn't specify. But it didn't specify, It just yeah. said intercourse, but yeah. I'm pretty sure, I mean... Just because, but he was saying, but there was signs of struggles in a lot of these. Yeah, I mean, like, there there are signs you can tell, or yeah. if it was too rough or something, you could see tearing or whatever. But he just people have speculated like, oh, he just didn't want to be labeled a rapist in prison. Although it could also be a case of him thinking it was consensual, like completely wrongly, because the women were terrified or something. Like, yeah, like that could be his own weird. Um, defense mechanism or something like he didn't want to see himself as that way i think that's also could be possible a possibility because he also cited he was like oh i was in a blackout or sometimes he would talk about how he was in blackouts when he would do these murders yeah he just doesn't seem like he's dealing with what's happening or something in a way or yeah it's weird but he was definitely definitely raped all these women yeah so the one woman, though, that he refused to admit to murdering was Norma Valencourt. She was the one who was found dead in her apartment in 1968. Now, she also had the bite marks. Was she the second victim? The first. She was the first. She okay. was the first. He denied this forever, even though he admitted to all the other ones, even though she was also strangled. She was also a woman in her early 20s, brunette, who had just moved to the big city. I wonder why. It's really strange. And the book that I read said later on that they ended up convicting a man for her murder in 1994, and the guy's name was Raymond Suave. Wait, and what? I, <laughs> and I'm like, I have to look that up. I couldn't find anything on this guy. I don't even think this guy exists. I'm Raymond sorry. Suave? I'm sorry to, like, uh, to disagree with the author of the book, but please, if you're listening to this... Where did you find this information? Because I would love to know. I looked him up in the newspaper service we use. I couldn't find anyone by the name of Raymond Suave or Suave. I don't know. I mean, what are the chances that this crime would be so similar to the others? Yeah. In the same area. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, for whatever reason, he refused to admit to that murder. Huh. 
He seems like he has some issues. Yeah. Like with what he wants to admit to what he's done. Yeah, maybe he has some weird like code in his head. I he- think it sounds like some weird code. It's so weird to me. Yeah. By the time Wayne's trial for the murder of Elizabeth Porteous began in 1972, he retracted his statement and pled not guilty. The use of forensic dentistry made this a landmark case in Canada. Elizabeth's friends and colleagues, they testified at the trial. One woman, a teacher named Evelyn Cheney, testified to briefly meeting Wayne at the cocktail bar when she was on the ski trip with Elizabeth. She said that the three of them chatted for a while, Wayne telling her that he worked in the automobile business. Elizabeth said to him, you mean you're in the pollution business? And Wayne replied, I don't make pollution. I drive a Mercedes. Oh. Look, I think both answers are irritating. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Now, the trial was very short, and it didn't take a long time for jurors to reach a verdict of guilty. And Wayne was sentenced to life in prison. Now, later that same year, Wayne pled guilty to the three murders in Montreal. Each, he was sentenced to life. Right. But again, he did not admit to murdering Norma. Five years later, in 1977, Wayne Bowden managed to apply for and secure an American Express card. From prison. Wait, what? He got an American Express card from prison. Jeez. And he used it and made payments on it for several years. What did he buy? I have no idea <laughs> what he bought. I, I don't I know. I need to see that purchase list. It's hard to get those cards, right? I think it's pretty hard. And you, those cards, you have to pay an annual fee to have. I don't understand you know I mean? like, how he did this, but he made it happen. And people like were baffled so much to the point that American Express was investigated. It seems like a glitch on their end because, first of all, his bills are going to the prison, right? right. I mean, well, in prison, and how is he paying them? Yeah, like prison addresses are very like specific. Like it's very obvious it's a prison. Yeah, address, but it's it's also the banking. Like, how was he paying for things, and how was he receiving packages? Do you know what I mean? If he was purchasing things, <sighs> look, I don't know. I mean, I honestly, I would like to know more about this. I know, but <laughs> <Me too. laughs> but it did baffle a lot of people. Yeah. So in 1982, Wayne was taken on a supervised day pass out of the prison because he had shown very good behavior for the last ten years he was in there. Now, this is just something that was done in Canada at the time. All went well. He went back to prison after the day pass ended without incident. Then, two years later, in 1984, he was granted another supervised day pass. Accompanying him was three guards and his art instructor. Wayne had really gotten into painting while in prison. They took him to a museum, and then they took him out to lunch at the Contiki restaurant in the Sheridan Mount Royal Hotel in Montreal. I think I've heard of Contiki. It was a chain. Yeah. And it's Polynesian food. Mm. Look, (laughs) it's all like old school tiki style restaurant. My favorite. I love some warm pineapple. (laughs) (laughs) Like seriously, Polynesian food, some of the best food out there. It's it's pretty good. So I like looked up 
this menu. Yeah, I've definitely Obviously, heard of this place. Great menu. I don't. I think Contiki. I don't know if it still exists, but this hotel definitely still does exist. I believe. Like, I don't know how big this chain is still, but I mean, it's a pretty nice place. Yeah, and that's where they took him out to to eat at this. Like, it's a fancy hotel too. Um, he's living it up. He's living it up. But you know what? He's been very well behaved in prison. He has three guards with him. His art instructor's there. His art instructor's seen him make great strides, mm-hmm. I'm sure. So they're eating lunch, and Wayne's like, I got to go to the bathroom. Classic. <laughs> Classic move when you're <laughs> attempting to escape. <laughs> and Wayne never came back. He got up from the table. So no one went with him? No. Oh my God. Look, they were their hands were sticky from the, the, <laughs> the spare poop. ribs from the poo-poo platter. <laughs> they didn't want to get up. They were busy. They didn't want to get the wet wipe out. <laughs> I know what it's like when you're face deep in a meal yeah. and you don't want to interrupt it. And there's they probably like, ah, oh, there's nowhere he can go. <laughs> yeah, there's like a you know, fake palm trees and yeah. stuff he's gotta wade through. He hid behind the uh totem pole. <laughs> snuck out. He put like one of the masks on <laughs> <laughs> and just blended in to the decor. Maybe Look. that's, you know what? It was probably his idea to go to Contiki. Yeah. He's like that. There's a that's lot. It's perfect. very busy there's lots in there. Of there's, decor. there's lots of stuff in there. It's not a, one of these sparse modern yeah. restaurants. <laughs> you can really hide in yeah. Contiki. Yes. Uh, you know, there's probably loud bird sounds. Absolutely. The there's a lot of stuff going on. We've, <laughs> We've been in the jungle room at Disneyland. We know how these places operate. <laughs> There's a storm happening. Oh, did you ever go to the Tonga Room? Uh, no, but I want to. <sighs> Tonga Room in San Francisco, yeah. it's an institution. They have like an hourly thunderstorm there. Oh, it's so good. It's I love so that. good. Yeah. So you know what? He probably snuck out during the hourly thunderstorm at Conti. I believe so. Wayne... Is like I'm gonna live it up in Montreal. Yeah, I got shit He's to back. do. He's back, baby. <laughs> He's back to the clubs. <laughs> the boys are back in town. Oh man, Wayne went to a bar in Montreal. He didn't even leave the city. He's like, I want to stay here. This is my home. Does he still have his Amex? <laughs> yes, he still has his Amex. Oh my god. He went to a bar and he's at the bar and he spots two girls having drinks and he's mm. like, hey. So he introduced himself as Bill. The girls' names were Gloria and Rita, and they were down to have some fun. I mean, Gloria and Rita are they're, they're they're fun down to girls. Have fun. <laughs> Those are fun girl names. <laughs> yeah. He offered to buy them drinks, and they figured he was an okay guy because he whipped out his Amex card, and they're like, "Gave him that patina what, of responsibility." <laughs> what did they say, Desi? I don't know. Is there an Amex? That's thing? nice. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Amex. They saw he had an Amex card. They're like, this guy has money or he owns a business. Yeah. I mean, Amex used to mean something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the 80s. Yeah. I mean, maybe he has some cocaine. That's too. like the card you put it on the silver tray and yeah. give it to the waiter. <laughs> oh, totally. So. <laughs> So one of the girls, um, so they're getting drinks and food and he's paying for it. And one of the girls is like, I'm a teacher. And he says, ooh, I love woman teachers. Ooh. 
gross. <laughs> Wayne, uh, as the girls were preparing to leave, Wayne asked them if he could see them later that night. And they said maybe. But Gloria was definitely more into him than Rita was. So she ended up meeting up with Wayne later that night by herself at a mm. bar named Cheers. What? <laughs> and they had a great time at this bar. They were laughing and talking. And Wayne asked if he could come over to her house after they were done. Gloria declined because she didn't want to like hoe it up that night. Yeah. She actually really liked this guy. Yeah. He was that good. But she, so she was like, I'll be happy to meet you for lunch the next day. And he's like, okay. So he walked her home and said goodnight. The next day, they go back to Cheers for lunch, I guess. Yeah. Or they had bar food. They had bar food. A few hours pass. They're getting drunk. They're having a ball. And then all of a sudden, the place is stormed by cops. <gasps> and he's on this date. Wayne's busted. And Embar- Wayne, how embarrassing. This is, <laughs> this is honestly, for a second date, this is like really embarrassing. <laughs> he's trying to win this girl He's over. trying to get in Guys, did you have to embarrass me? <laughs> Just give me like two more hours, tops. Oh my God. Wayne's thrown to the ground, placed in handcuffs, and Gloria's like, what the hell? Yeah. Who, who are you? You mean you're not... <laughs> That must you have been a shocker. You don't own a business? <laughs> yeah, but he had an Amex. <laughs> I mean, I mean, rightfully, they should have seen the Amex and thought it was okay, because what prisoner would have an Amex card? So uh, <laughs> the public was outraged yeah. by this. They were like, how dare you let a serial killer have a day pass from his maximum security prison in the first place? And as a result of this, Canada made a new law. Sorry, I didn't really go into that, guys. I'm sure it's very interesting, that new law that no happened. Day passes. No more day passes for prisoners. <laughs> um, personally, I feel like Wayne spoiled it for everyone else. Fucking Wayne. He had to stay in Montreal. Gloria must be shitting herself at this point, right? I mean, if you're Gloria, you're terrified that you just escaped a date with a serial killer. I mean, she could be dead. If it was like any other circumstances. Oh, yeah. uh, That's really scary. Very scary, for sure. So Wayne ended up remaining in prison. He never escaped again until his death in 2006. He died of skin cancer. That's from that day trip. (laughs) I was wondering, how did he get skin cancer? Uh, That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, So he died... He was um, in his 50s, was he? Was he born in 48? Yeah. Okay. Good math. You know what? Sometimes it works. <laughs> My brain. <laughs> there was no... I, I could have said 70s. There's no way I could have figured that out right now. I well, just, I only remembered 48, that he was born in 48, so yeah. it made it easy. Uh so I'm, not, I'm not bragging, you guys. I know. My, my, my brain is gelatin. Right I don't now. really know where I pulled that out from, to be honest. <laughs> you know how you just say it and it happens to be right? Yeah. You, okay, you, you took happened. your fish oil today. I did. I did. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. So this guy who wrote the movie is from Canada yeah. and knew this story. Black Christmas is a Canadian movie. Okay. And that director is the same guy who directed A Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. So he went from that movie to like a Christmas classic. Right. Um, and here's another interesting story about that director. 
he, it's a sad story. He died in a car crash that was very similar to the car crash I got into shortly before he died in this car crash. It was the exact same circumstances. What happened? He was hit by a drunk driver on PCH uh, head on like shortly after my car accident, which was not on PCH, but the same exact circumstances, like a lot of things. Uh, So he had this horrible death. I think his son was in the car uh, with him. Awful. Um, Just an interesting career and life, I think. Um, There was another guy, I I can't remember right, right now. It must have been a movie. Oh, the movie I watched, The Butcher, The Baker, Nightmare Maker. Oh, did you like it? Uh, yeah, of course I liked I knew, it. <laughs> I, I knew you would love it. I knew. First of all. It's my exact type it, of movie. I know. I know. Me too. The title's so stupid though. No. It's. I don't even know where that title came from. I'm like, did I miss something no. where they talk about that? No. It, the title is inconsequential to the movie, but the movie is one of the best hidden gem horror movies. Yes, but I feel like the title is a big reason why people maybe don't watch it. Yeah, maybe. Because if you knew it, it doesn't sound anything like what this movie is about at all. Mm-mm. I do know that they changed the title at some point in distribution, but yeah. it's always marketed the way uh, Butcher Baker, Candle, a Nightmare Maker. Um, that director of that movie also did like a wholesome movie. I can't remember now what it was. I'll look yeah. it up maybe. No, he I know He also that. did like a wholesome uh, type movie maybe before or after. I can't remember. But it was like another, it was like very similar to Bob Clark. Well, uh, Brian Yuzna, he did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh. And we talked about the dentist yeah. week one. It all comes full circle. I kind of like that. I do too. Uh, sick element. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, that's body horror. Absolutely. Right? Come on. Yeah, absolutely. So so you liked Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. I'm so happy. Yes. I like that movie. Susan Tyrell is like so good in it. I actually was thinking, like I know she's in Crybaby, but how is she not in every John Waters movie? Because <laughs> she should be one of his main stars. I agree. How is she not in every single one <laughs> up until she died? <laughs> She's amazing. She. This is one of the craziest performances. It was like Ever. Baby Jane level <laughs> yeah. performance. Like, how did she not win every award? Also, like the gay storyline. It's so good. I was like, what? <laughs> it was so wild and just nonstop and just like whatever. Like, no, it was very. Uh, also, the opening scene. I'm sorry. It was just like. And it got crazier after an opening uh, scene that was crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. Uh, it's it's a, a nuts, nuts movie. movie. And I, I definitely feel like the title is hindering this movie's success uh, in, a, in a wider audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's a cult hit now, yeah. probably. Yeah. Although I rarely hear about it. I, I don't think it is a cult hit, but it should be. It seems like it should be a cult hit. Yeah. And I, I just feel like the title is so misleading. Right. It sounds like one of those 80s horror movies where it's like nursery rhymey or something. <laughs> like, I would love to know the history of the title. Right. Because there's nothing. Like, it was this thing. I was like, did I fall asleep for a second where they explained the title? Right. No. There's, there's no nothing. baker. There's no butcher, baker, even a nightmare maker. <laughs> Not in the traditional sense. No. It's just so weird. Right. It's bizarre. But yeah, I did like it. 
So well, that's the story of Wayne Bowden and Black Christmas. What a weird killer! He's just living his life. You like, know, do you know what I mean? You know what's weird is I could not find much information about his early life. Just that there wasn't any. It just seems like he se- like like he see like you said like he seemingly just started just randomly doing this. Like there was no lead up to it. I mean, we usually know so much about these killers' early childhoods, and we'll we can see all the signs: the animal killing, arson, uh, head injury. Like, there's all those things that we'll be like, ah, yes, uh huh. He's right. going in this direction. They all make sense. Yes, or like an abusive childhood, or something is happening, and this just seems like. He just started killing for no reason. Like, right. Like, it wasn't even like he worked up to it right. in any way that we know of. Right. Uh, and then his his vibe, I have to say, seems very chill, other than like <laughs> the murder, like that he just walks out of Contiki and just like starts living normally, not even like fearful or running away. Like, this guy, it's like he's like cool as a cucumber. <laughs> Like nothing stresses this guy out. It's bizarre. It's so chilling. Yeah. Well, oh, even like just like yeah, that's my cufflink. You found it. It's right. like you have no plan <laughs> to never admit to anything. Like it's so stressful. Oh, totally. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. It's always these guys where I'm like, I'd like to know more. Uh, me too. Uh, there's tons of the other guys where we know all about. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, right. Let's fill in the blanks on some of these people. Yeah, I'd like to know. Um, cool. All right. Well, we're going to record our after show now for Patreon. We will see you all Friday for yeah. our mini episode. Bye. Bye.